How did you come together with uh, Marcus and Stanley to do that record? Yeah, uh, what a dream come true. Um, of course, I was aware of them, you know, mo uh, most of my musical life, most of my life. Um, as Bela Fleck and the Flecktones started getting popular, which meant I started getting popular, I started to become friendly with Marcus and Stanley. And it had always been a dream of mine to do something different and do something like a three bass band with those two guys. So, you know, I might see one of them at a music convention like the NAM show, which is the big convention that happens in, in California every January. But if I would see Marcus, I would say, man, Marcus, man, we got to do something together one of these days. Yeah, man. OK. I would say the same thing if I saw Stanley. And this would happen for years. But what really, so that might, that may have put it in the, the universe, in the ether, you know. But what really came together was Bass Player Magazine honored Stanley Clark with a Lifetime Achievement Award. And someone came up with the idea of having Marcus and me present the award to Stanley. So Marcus and I both said nice words about Stanley. And then the three of us got together and we played Stanley's classic school days. We played it together. And without much of any kind of rehearsal, of course, we did do a sound check, but it just gelled. If Stanley went high, Marcus went low, I went in the middle. If Stanley came down, I went up high, you know, it just. And after that, Stanley was like, man, we got it. We got to do this. We got to do this. So when the magazine came out and I read the article that Stanley was talking about, he was like, yeah, we're going to record and we're going to tour. And that was the first I heard about it. And I called Stan. I was like, man, I'm reading this article. You're talking about recording and touring. He's like, yeah, man, we got to do it. So we finally did it. And we did it for two years, only one record. But we toured for two summers. But the record is so good. It's called Thunder. And the band, we called it SMV, Stanley Marcus Victor. Really good musical record. You think it would just be a bunch of bass players going crazy. It's so musical. And the live performance was so musical. And I'm honored to have been a part of it you know, with, with two of my all-time heroes. Yeah, I mean, three of my all-times right there, you and those two guys. I mean, wow. Um, and Thunder on that is a little school days like to me. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, we, we definitely, you know, we we hit each other's songs all over that record. Yeah, and it was great to hear um, 
go back to some of Stanley's stuff with the silly putty and <laughs> yes, really exactly. cool. Yeah, exactly. There's one song, uh, uh, Hillbillies on a Sunday afternoon or something like that. Quiet afternoon, yeah. Quiet afternoon, yeah, 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 yeah. Well, we took part of part of that song on Stanley's record. I think it was called Quiet Afternoon, and we stuck that in in another song. So yeah, yeah, we paid tribute to each other. And you cool. got George Duke on there too. We did. What an honor, George Duke. And let me think. Chick might be on on one song too. But that was um, yeah. Marcus is doing. Marcus was able to make that happen. So that was really really good that uh, we got both of those guys. So you know, I, I never got to work. Um, and you know like side by side with george duke i got to sit next to him at a festival i got to see him play alive a lot but i never got to perform with him but to have him on that record makes me feel really good mm -hmm. and of course you know of for this show a lot of people love bootsy and you mentioned bootsy already i know you guys have this uh, friendship going back some years yeah how did you first meet and tell us a little bit about those collaborations, if you could. You know, I, I actually can't remember how we first met. I don't remember. I do remember seeing him in the early 70s with James Brown. But I will say this, you know, we run into each other. And not just Bootsy, it's just musicians. And bass players are always attracted to each other because we support each other. You know, our whole job is to support others. So we, we still support each other. But I probably ran into Bootsy at the NAMM show or something like that. Um, and I think Bootsy probably contacted me and asked me if I would put bass on, on a project. Bootsy's always working with people. Stuff that we don't even know about where he's helping someone get a record deal or producing a song. So he might call me or someone else and say, hey, will you add some bass to this? And of course, of course I'm gonna say, yeah. But then on my Soul Circus record, no, first it was uh, Live in America, Live in America record. And it was before, before we were recording the record, I asked Bootsy, and at this time I had done a few recordings for him, so I kind of asked him for a favor, will you record an intro? Because on, on this tour, we had a little bit more production, you know, and we were gonna have this recorded intro that we walked out to. And I just asked Bootsy if he would just say something on the mic and can we use his voice and, you know, like just say my name or whatever. But Bootsy, when he sent me something in the mail and I picked it up and I was riding with my friend Anthony Wellington in the car and we put the cassette in and it was a whole song that he came up with where, they, where he and his wife are singing my name. And it's like you hear a crowd shouting, Victor, Victor, man, Anthony and I, we, we had to pull the car over <laughs> just a groove, man. So he really did me right. And we, we started every night on that, that tour. And we recorded every night. Our sound guy recorded every night. And that wound up being a live record called Live in America. And, uh, and speaking of Marcus Miller, Marcus came to see us play in San Francisco. And he showed up with his bass. So there's a song on that record called Miller Time. And it's when he joined us live. But that whole record starts with part of the recording that Bootsy did for us. It reminded me of the way he started his record. All the name is Bootsy, baby. You know, we want Bootsy. It was like we want Victor. You know, so it was very cool that way. He's he's just the greatest guy. People probably have no idea 
what a nice, genuine, caring person. He and his wife, Patty, they both are. And, uh, you know, he, he, you know, he knows that he can call on me at any time. I just played on uh, something else for him recently. Well, that uh, on his record, Bass Rigged System was a very cool track. And he called, you get name checked on it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Well, he's recently been working with this little 15-year-old. She just turned 16, plays ukulele and sings. And she lives somewhere near Nashville. And, uh, and Bela and I played on a song for this, this young woman. So I'm happy Bootsy, you know, he's not playing as much anymore, but he's really working hard and helping other people, making sure good music still gets out there. That Soul Circus record, which you had mentioned, definitely one of my favorites. I think it's one of your most accessible records, but also one of your funkiest. Thank you. Yeah. My plan on that record was to do an old school R&B record. You know, like the like the records that I grew up with, Sly and the Family Stone, Bootsy, Funkadelic, and just some real good R&B soul music, but kind of make it a little bit more up to date, maybe make it sound a little bit more, uh, more up to date, but with an old school feel. And that is one of my favorite records, and, and I'm sad about that record because it's one of my records that I don't own. Now, that was one where, you know, you, you sign it away to a record label for some promises that never happen. And then you end up not owning that, that record, you know. And I keep toying with the idea of just re-recording it, <laughs> you know, so that I own it. But I probably won't, but I love that record. There's some great music on there. You know, Absolutely. What, yeah. uh, what label was that on? At, at the time, it was... It was uh, oh, Vanguard. A, yeah, Vanguard. It was owned by some of Lawrence Welk's kids, the Welks. And that record label doesn't even exist anymore. And I, I'm still fighting to get that record back. So in other words, somebody else's kids will own that record instead of my own kids. Mm. But I'm still fighting for it. And how a label can sell your record to somebody else and not back to you. You know, so. So anyway, I learned, I learned, I learned how to, how to make deals now. You know, and how to retain stuff. You know, I, you learn from all of it. Hard knocks uh, for sure. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. And you had an Earth, Wind, and Fire cover on there too, which was pretty cool. You can't hide love. Yeah. Wow, what a great song. You know, Earth, Wind, and Fire to me were I don't I, I don't want to say ahead of their time because people were speaking like that. They were just so positive. They were really and Maurice, who was the leader of that band. Maurice White was all about the uplifting of people. Mm -hmm. um, it was gospel music to me in an R&B funky style. You know, you're a shining star, no matter who you are, right? I mean, think about that lyric. Keep your head to the sky. You know, you can't hide love. You know, this is heavy stuff that it got all of us singing. So even if we don't pay attention, we're growing, right? This is powerful, heavy stuff. That's what I mean about Earth, Wind, and Fire, Stevie Wonder, James Brown. You know, they were really uplifting, not only their people, because, you know, black people were having it rough back in the 70s, 60s. Our parents had it rougher than us. And these people were uplifting people when it, went, when it wasn't easy to do. 
wasn't easy to get your voice heard, but they made sure that when you heard it, they uplifted people. And that's what my parents were talking about, making sure that other people benefit from your success. And so I love that. Also so wholly original in sound, you know, yeah. and, you know, again, going back to when you had the whole records and albums to listen to, having right. such a unique sound and vision and not sounding like the next person, you know? Well, that's, that's what was recognized at the time, your un uniqueness, right? They didn't make James Brown famous because he sounded like someone else. Nowadays, they'll do that, right? Earth, Wind & Fire wasn't popular because they sounded like someone else, right? Basi basically, back then, all you had to do was be really good. You didn't have to be gorgeous. You didn't have to wear a bikini. You didn't have to be skinny. Right? You just had to be good. You know, and I remember last year a friend of mine was touring with Mavis Staples. Oh, I love her. Yeah. Yeah, me too. So I'm sitting out in the audience listening to Mavis and I say to my wife, I'm like, Wow, this is from the day when all you had to do was sing really well and you were a star. Because Mavis wasn't dancing when we saw her. You know, she wasn't wearing skimpy outfits. She was almost 80. She just stood there and sang. And, man, the audience was going crazy. And I'm like, man, I miss that. That you could just sing or play really well. I love a show. But to me, it shouldn't have to be about the show. And, and some artists are so much about the show, they understand performance so well that they can have less of a musical gift and still make it work. And I don't knock that. I don't look down upon that. Entertain There's nothing wrong with entertaining. Entertaining is important. Yeah. It's skill. It's a gift. And some people have that gift. Michael Jackson had the gift. Mm -hmm. right? As much as I love Michael Jackson, the older Michael Jackson, in my opinion, I'll probably make, get a lot of hate mail for saying this, Michael Jackson in his older days was just an okay singer. Mm. Now, as a child. Oh, he was incredible. Unbelievable. Yes. But as he got older, now he had his own style. Mm -hmm. When he sang, the beautiful thing about Michael, when he sang, you knew right away who it was. That's a gift. But Elvis, okay singer. Mick Jagger, he might reach okay. You know, Bob Dylan, Willie Nelson. Right? <laughs> but when you hear them, they sound like no one else. Right. James Brown, you can't understand anything he says. Right. But it's him. So back from that era, we recognized and celebrated your, your uniqueness and your honesty in singing the way you sing. And that's what made you a star because you were good at being you. But nowadays, as soon as we get a Taylor Swift, now we need another. Yeah. We need another. It's like an know? assembly line. Yeah. And not to knock any of them. I, I'm, a, I'm a big Taylor Swift fan. I love the fact that even as a kid, she's writing this music over, on her own. I love it. And anyone who can make it out there, I admire. Sure. Because you know, there's a lot of talented people who can't make it. So there's a gift to be found everywhere. So, Victor, what... Where are you finding inspiration now? And, you know, what are some of your ambitions looking forward musically? Mm -hmm. Well, life. 
life is inspiring. Uh, if you're not inspired, uh, I just think you were not paying enough attention. Right? Life is inspiring. This is an inspiring time right now. You know, you think about all the songs that came, blues that came out of heartache. Mm. The gospel songs that, that, that were brought about through slavery. Right? The people that are stronger because of it. I mean, it's a horrible way to have to become strong, but mm. a lot of things that knock you down make you stronger. And especially for us in this generation, this is the biggest thing we've ever had to deal with. Now, I, I would laugh if, I mean, my parents would be laughing if they were alive. Tell them, oh, pandemic? All you got to do is stay home? You got internet? Right? My parents stayed home all the time anyway. They lived on a farm. They knew how to garden. They had hogs. They couldn't afford to go to the doctor or anything anyway. So they'd laugh their way through this. But for us, it's the hardest thing ever. And I get it. You know, we weren't raised the way our parents were, right? Our parents that came over on ships or either from Europe or from Africa or the plagues, the depression, every generation has something. But my point being is that you can find inspiration in it. And we need that inspiration right now. We need to get inspired to get through it. Politics, as crazy as it is, we need some inspiration, right? And music is a great way to do it. Music is a great way to say it without it sounding like we're preaching. Comedians have that power, too. They can say it and make you laugh about it, right? But music gets you to listen without even having to understand it. Because music doesn't just make you think, it makes you feel. But life is inspiring. You know, I've got four kids, beautiful wife, uh, wonderful dog living out here in the woods. I see animals and deer and hawks all the time. I don't know how to not be inspired. The same way, some days I don't feel like talking, but whenever we do talk, we're talking about life, right? For me, music's just about life. And there's never any time where I'm not able to talk about it. Now, there are still projects I want to do. I'm working on projects right now. I just wrote a second book. My first book came out in 2008 called The Music Lesson. And it's done very well. It's sort of like uh, a show of hands. It surprised me at, at what it's done in the, the schools and universities and people that are using it. But the sequel to that book, the sequel to the music lesson, is called The Spirit of Music. And uh, it was due to come out this October. But then when the, the publishing company, we realized, wow, that's right around presidential election time. N you know, nobody's going to be, we won't get any press. That's all they're going to be talking about is this election. So it's going to be coming out in February now. Okay. Which is good for me because I'm doing an audio version of the book. And... Um, this, you know, these are big projects. I did an audio version for the first book. Huge project. It's probably like doing at least three records, maybe like five records. Mm -hmm. Because it's a novel. So there's characters. And the, the characters are inspired by real people. So I got the people who inspired each character to read their part of the book. So I'm getting ready to start this next one. And a great bass player named Chuck Rainey. Mm -hmm. 
who played on, uh, you know, uh, Steely Dan's Peg. Um, he played on What a Wonderful World with Louis Armstrong. He even played on uh, Rock Steady with Aretha. This guy's done everything. Well, Chuck is an inspire, is in, inspired a character in my book called Uncle Clyde. So in the first book, uh, Uncle Clyde's part is read by Chuck Rainey. So I was literally on the phone with Chuck last night and saying, Chuck, I'm getting ready to start the next book. He's still game to read Uncle Clyde's part, you know. He's like, yeah, I'm in. So uh, it's a big project because I score it with music. And uh, every chapter of the book has music, sound effects. You hear all the voices. If a door shuts, you hear it shut. So, you know, it starts with just getting the voices. Then I start adding music and sound effects. So that's going on. I also finished a uh, my second concerto for electric bass and orchestra. The first one I wrote with a wonderful woman, a violinist and composer, Connie Ellisor out of Nashville. She actually contacted me about writing a concerto for bass in the Nashville Symphony. And I said, well, at first I said, no, I don't want to do it because I'm not ready to get into that classical world. But then it dawned on me, you know what, let's try it. I said, but can I write it with you? So we co-wrote it and we did that a couple years ago, five different orchestras. We call that one the Bass Whisperer, a concerto for electric bass and orchestra. So I have a new one that was supposed to have been performed last May, but it's going to be moved to next May. And, uh, and so that was fun. I wrote this one totally by myself. So all, you know, about 30 different instruments, all symphony, symphonic and electric bass. And I have a bass that I bow. I hold it normally, but I, I can bow the strings. And it's got a curved radius, so it's like sort of like holding a cello sideways. It's but electric can, or acoustic? It's electric. Yeah, it's electric. So I've got some bowed parts in there. It's a lot of fun. But since it's delayed, I have actually more time to work on it and learn it. So there's, there's a lot going on. Did, did you ever have formal training or, or not? Well... No, I'll say no, but the same way you speak great English without formal training. You didn't need formal training. You know, people have formal training if they haven't done it since birth, you know. But you can write music uh, yeah. and read music. And I can read and write music. Yeah. Um, so, like, you know, you, had, you went to school, elementary school, you learned how to read. Dr. Seuss, your parents started you. I learned how to read in the sixth grade. In Virginia, they started music programs um, in the sixth grade. And there were no electric bass instruments, but they did have an orchestra. And so I grew up in nightclubs as a kid, and I had only seen double basses that were huge. I was always too small to play them. So I, I thought they were all huge. So I didn't think I could play a double bass, so I chose cello. Same size as my electric bass. I didn't know they made double basses the size of cellos. I got little kids that got double basses really small. That was a blessing in disguise. The cello parts are always much more interesting than the bass parts. Mm. So in the orchestra, I learned to read. I also learned how to bow really well. And I, I learned the side, the, the, the side of music where you have sustain and legato and beauty like a cello. Parts of the electric bass doesn't do it easily. So I guess that as much as formal training as I had. From sixth grade through twelfth grade, I read music in the orchestra. Mm. 
And because I could play electric bass and cello reads the same clef as electric bass, I could immediately now read music on the electric bass. So, you know, in probably eighth grade, now I'm playing in the high school jazz band and stuff like that. And my reading got better. Um, I didn't go to college. Uh, three of my older brothers did. But that was as formal training as I got, was learning, you know, was playing in the orchestras in, in school, in high school, mm-hmm. elementary school. And that's uh, paid dividends for you now because you forgot that foundation. Oh, yeah. 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 Reading uh, is important. I know a lot of good musicians who can't do it. But in the same way, in English, you know that you're better off in society if you can read and write in, in your language. It doesn't mean you're not intelligent if you if you can't read. It doesn't mean you're smarter than anyone if you can read. All right? And music's the same way. If you can read it, you have more opportunity. Doesn't really mean you'll play better. But it does mean you have more opportunity. For any musician out there who's good but can't play, I'm sorry, who's good but can't read, there are gigs you are missing and you don't even know about it. Right? Some of my favorite musicians can't read. George Benson, Pino Palladino, Dennis Chambers. Right? Uh, and, you know, if you can't read, you have to be that good. Mm. <laughs> you know? But there are gigs that those people can't do. Right. Yeah. yeah. Even if you, if you can't read, you can have the best ear in the world. But if you can't read, you're still a step behind the person who can read. Right? If you gave me right now, if you say, hey, I want you to do an a, 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 a ID for my show. You know, Scott Gooding, you, you know, you want, you want a good, good fine, you say? Gold that fine. Has, gold fine, gold fine, sorry. Mm-hmm. You know, you could hand it to me and I could read it the first time. Right? If you can't read, I got to hear it first. Yeah. You want me to say. So even though my ear's good, you may only have to say it to me once. But I'm still a step behind because I have to hear it once. Yeah. Makes the person sense. who can read doesn't have to hear it first. Right? I can look at the page and I know what it sounds like. Yeah. So and we're, we're, reading is important. We're talking about musical education, which, you know, I definitely wanted to ask you what inspired you to you know, push in that direction. And I'm wondering if it stems from what you mentioned about your mom telling you, you know, what are you giving back and, and that kind of thing. Absolutely. All of the above. I also wanted people to have what I had growing up. As I got older and I realized how special my upbringing was. Um, and it was at the same time that I was getting popular with the flectones and people were asking me to teach, do clinics and workshops. I never taught anything. I didn't grow up, you know, giving or getting bass lessons, so I didn't know how to teach. Um, it'll be like you, all of a sudden, you got to teach an English language class. You've been speaking it your whole life, but how to teach it, you got to put some thought to, especially for people who didn't grow up speaking it. You're going to have to come up with exercises for them that you never did, right? So I had to figure out how to teach and what to teach. Um, but it was another opportunity for me. And I wanted to give back to people. I wanted to help people, especially once I started researching teachers and I found out what and how people were teaching. Although I thought it was good stuff, 
people had good methods. I just felt that there was a lot being left out, a whole lot, and that people were basically teaching notes, 12 notes. And, you know, we call them cool things. There's modes, scales, harmony, chords, key signatures, all this kind of stuff. There's only 12 notes. And I can buy them. Right? Every instrument I bought has the same 12 notes on it as my heroes. Right? As much as I love Stanley Clark, he's not so good that they give him a 13th note. Right? Mm -hmm. He's earned the 13th. No, same 12 I bought. Then why does Stanley sound different? Why does he sound different than Jocko, different than Marcus, different than Carol Kay, different than Bootsy? When it's all the same notes, there must be something else. What I found out is, on the whole, nobody was teaching the something else. Right? We're using the same exact English words, but your voice sounds different than mine. Nobody's teaching that. What makes you you? You don't become more you by learning more about the 12 notes. Because it's not the 12 notes that make you you. It's not the words that make you you. We could say the exact same words and you'll sound just like you. What is that? And for me, I felt I should help you with that. Because we grew up in an era where it was that that made you a star. The fact that you were you. And most musical curriculum was telling us I had to become them first. I want to learn jazz. I got to learn bass the way Ron Carter did it. I got to learn bass the way Ray Brown did it. I got to learn sax like your son. I got to learn how Charlie Parker did it. And after you can play like Charlie Parker well enough, then they tell you to go pay dues, which just means now go back and find yourself. And I'm like, well, why'd you rob me of myself if now I got to go find it? Mm -hmm. Think about talking. You never lost your own voice. All right? It's because we were never taught out of it. And I realized that, and plus a lot of people were quitting their lessons. I'm like, what's going on? Music's easy. 12 notes, seven letters. It should be easy. Why are people quitting? And I realized the process. The process is that we tell you you're wrong every time you're wrong. All right? And you're going to be wrong. When you start anything, you're going to make more mistakes than you get it right. So if you hear you're wrong every time you make a mistake, who's going to continue? Right? So I just realized there needed to be a different way of teaching. And I wanted people to, to know how I was taught. So I started really thinking about my brother Reggie. And Reggie's always been teaching. He never stopped. So I would go and watch some of his lessons and learn from him. And I take a lot of his methods and, and bring them to people. And there's a lot of underlying kind of like hidden things that you don't think about that Reggie is so good at. And parents do it, too. You know? And basically, it comes down to you're allowed to make mistakes. You're allowed to. You know? And when we're kids, our parents celebrate our effort, not the result. Like, just, like I said earlier, you come home with that finger painting. You know, it's not the best painting, but we're not looking at that. We're looking at what you did, the effort. When a baby stands up for the first time and falls, we don't criticize them because they fell. We throw a party because they stood up. Right? So we really celebrate a child's effort. We know the result's coming. But in music, we tell you you're wrong every time you're wrong. And now we're playing music 
And the whole purpose of playing now is just not to be wrong. And most of us, believe it or not, it's so sad, most of us never leave that mentality. We're afraid to play because I might mess up. I would tell you, I guarantee you're going to mess up. That's how you grow. You know, so I wanted to give back, but I wanted to do it in a way that it happened for me. And I wanted to share that. And it eventually led to me starting music camps. I run a music camp just outside of Nashville. And then we just completed our 21st year where that whole way is, is our method. And people flourish. They, they come there and they leave there better and different. And they maintain it. And we've been able to see people go on and just rapid uh, ascent. You know, once they reclaim themselves and know that they are enough with what they have. You know, when you realize that you are enough where you are, it makes you want to go further because you're able to do it without the fear. That's great. That must feel so fulfilling for you. It's totally fulfilling. Totally fulfilling. Without, without any kind of, uh, uh, what's the word, like selfish gratification. In other words, I'm happy when the student, like, okay, on a few occasions, and I'll, I'll share a story that happened our very first camp. Very first one we did in the year 2000. And we didn't totally know what we were doing. We knew what we wanted, but how to do it. You know, us instructors were having meetings in between classes, every break, what do we do next? But at the end of the camp, a young teenage kid, excuse me, came over to me fighting back tears. Last day camp was done and he said, you know, Victor, when I first got here, he said, I was like, wow, there goes Victor Wooten. And he said, but now I see everybody that way. And I went, yes, absolutely. So in other words, on his radar, I didn't lower. He and everybody else rose to my status. Mm -hmm. Because if a person sees me up here, they're showing me their potential, not mine. That means they can see this high. Right? Someone who's faking like they're humble will try to come down here. Oh, I'm not that good, blah, blah, blah. Oh, I say I am good. Of course I am. You can do this too. And quickly they get there. And all of a sudden this kid sees everybody there. And we've heard that more than, more than not. But that's the way my parents were. That's the way my brothers still are. And that's the way we run our camps. Our goal is to get you there as quickly as you're willing to go. And probably even a little bit faster. Yeah, it reminds me of when I went in, uh, years and years ago and took guitar lessons, and I was with so many teachers that I got turned off by it, and I kept going to different ones. And uh, Finally, I happened upon one where he just set up in his garage, and he made it more of a jam session where we would both jam together. Right. And that was just all the difference in the world for me. That's how you learn to talk. Right? You didn't tell your little son who's 15 now. When he was two, you didn't say, okay, here's your words for today. Go practice. No, that's wrong. That's wrong. You just talk to them. Right? And they could. He, your son could be 10 years old calling it a blankie. Dad, where's my blankie? And guarantee you, you'll say, oh, here's your blankie. You know, you don't say, you're, no, you're wrong. It's a blanket. Go practice, blah, blah, blah. 
No. You just you know they'll get it. So we learn to talk by doing what you did with your teacher. We learn to talk by jamming. Yeah, it shouldn't it shouldn't be a, a punitive type atmosphere. Right. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Um, well, I really appreciate all your time. I want to ask you maybe one or two more questions, and then I'll free you for your day. Um, one I have to ask you about, especially, is uh, just about funk. You know, I know I've heard you talk about. You know, and a lot of people do this. They say it's, you know, it's the feeling, you know. But is there anything you can say beyond that, you know, for aspiring funk bass players or just musicians who want to master funk and find themselves finding that groove and finding that rhythm? Absolutely. If, uh, funk, like, you know, Everything on the one, I'm guessing that's what that says. I can't see that poster over your left shoulder. Yeah, it says everything's on the one. Yep, okay. Yeah. Um, so, Bootsy, you know, and George Clinton, they all that all started with James Brown. Heavy downbeat, okay? Now, it starts there. Even if you don't play that downbeat, you need to know where it is to play off of it. But funk also deals with 16th notes okay this is the rhythmic part of funk it's a feel it's a lifestyle everything but if i'm playing right this is my tempo and i'm gonna play and i'm gonna pluck a high note right one two three four one two three right ah, it's, it's nice rhythm but it's not really funky okay now, those are quarter notes. One, two, three, four. In between those, right in the middle, are eighth notes. One and two and three and four and. So if I just go one, two, three, four and. One, two, three, four. Right? Instead of putting that beat on four, I put it on the end of four. It changes. Three, four. Two, three, four. Changes a little bit, right? Mm -hmm. Now, I'm going to move that beat four instead of on the end i'm going to move it up one sixteenth so it's what i call the e of four one e and a two e and a three e and a four e and a so one two three four one two three four one two three four now you start to hear funk being born right it's just being born it's not whole, it's not all there, but you hear it now because of that one sixteenth, right? So now, if I put heavier on the one, instead of just doing this, we go Now it's getting more funky, right? Yeah. So if I sprinkle in a few more sixteenths, starting to get more funky so funky is a lot about downbeats especially on the one with the sprinkling of upbeats on the 16th so when we're talking rhythmically that's what funk is that's what helps make you some more funky if you do too many 16ths it'll change the style of music. For example, if I play one, two, three, downbeats, right? 
I can make it by just putting one of them on an upbeat. But if I put them all on an upbeat, right? If I go three, four, start sounding Latin. So if I put too many upbeats, it'll whole, totally change the style. Right. So that's approaching it from a rhythmic standpoint. And you can you can approach it. it uh, you can approach it from a melodic thing. There's some things that funk does in music. That other styles may not do as much. Right. Or if you do this, it, it'll sound like gospel moving the notes in this way. So you can affect the style of music a bunch of different ways. Right. Funk likes a lot of what we call dominant chords. Right. Or, or the second mode in what they might call Dorian. It might be in a minor key, but it's going to have a major six. That's what they call Dorian. That's why James Brown liked to play piano in the key of D. Because it's really the, the white keys on the piano. He could just play all the white keys. It's really C major. But when we move it up a whole step and still play the white keys, it gives us a minor scale. But with a major six, we call it Dorian. That means he can get funky just by playing white keys. You don't have to know anything. And I can play Uptown Funk, I can play Sex Machine in the key of D minor, but it's Dorian. So there's things you can do note-wise to make it funky. But I usually start with the rhythm on how to make it funky because the bass is what's in, they call it a rhythm section. Most people teach the rhythm section by teaching you notes. I like to teach the rhythm section by teaching you rhythm because that's what our name is. Nobody's dancing to the notes anyway. They're dancing to the rhythm. Yeah, and this show is Truth in Rhythm, so there was a truth right there. And, the truth. I <laughs> uh, uh, definitely felt like um, a little bit from the Larry Graham school of funk bass. If you go back and listen to Larry, that's what he's doing, right? Uh, downbeats with some sprinklings of some upbeats, right? Yeah. That was fantastic. Thanks for demonstrating that, Vic. Really appreciate yep. it. And uh, before we... Uh, part ways any other message you'd like to get out to uh, fans or the audience sure you know this is a crazy time for all of us um but just know that that we will come through it uh, how we come through it is going to be up to you as the individual um how we come through it is up to us how you come through it is up to you so what i've been suggesting to people is one of the things you can actually do is you can take a piece of paper and make a list of all the things you're doing differently now that we're in quarantine. What are you doing differently? Maybe you're cooking more with your son. Maybe I'm taking more walks. Maybe, maybe I'm on the computer more. Maybe I'm sitting down more than I want to. Right? Don't judge any of it. Just write it down. Once you get a good list, then you want to go back through it. You want to put a check mark by the things you want to continue doing. Once we're out of quarantine, once life is starting to come back to normal, put a check mark. Oh, I want to keep doing this. Like for me, I'm home with my family more than I've ever been. That's top of my list. Bunch of check marks. I want to make sure even if I start touring again, that I'm home more than I'm touring, that I'm going to say yes to my family before I'm saying yes to the big tour. Top of my list. So you look at your list and say, what do I want to keep doing once I'm free to go get back out. 
And since we're still in quarantine, look at that list and everything with a check mark on it. You start doing them every day if you can, because you want to make them unconscious. Right. You don't want it to be something you do. You want it to be something that you are. Right. So it might be making my bed every day. It might be keeping my house clean. You know, it might. So you want to make sure that you start doing it now so that it becomes your habit. If you do that, if we do that, we will all come back not to normal. Because normal should not be our goal. Right. Normal got us to this place where we are now. I, I'm, I ain't studying normal. I don't want to go there. We want to come back better than normal. And we do it by bettering ourselves. Right? Our lives are governed by who we are, how we respond to what we see, how we respond to what we have, what happens to us. You notice that every time you there's a problem in the world, every time you see it, who's there? You are. Right. So every time there's a problem, wow, I'm there. So maybe the problem is me. Right. It's how I see it how I deal with it. I can criticize or I can get to work. All right. And that starts now. And we can do it by looking at it. Start with a list. And I'll end with my one of one of my favorite quotes. And it's one of my only quotes that I often go to that's not my mom's or my dad's. But it's a saying that says the best time to plant a tree was 20 years ago. The next best time is now. Mm. So it doesn't matter what you haven't done. The next best time is now. Let's get it done. Hey, you know, I just thought about something, Scott. Um, since your show is talking about rhythm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to lay something on you that I got from my brother Joseph. My brother Joseph says, talks about the power of rhythm in music. And he relates it to life. Like, in other words, if... if, if if I if I drop my my cup right and cough right they uh, they don't relate dropping a cup and coughing don't relate until I add rhythm to it drop now because of rhythm the power of rhythm it can make things that don't relate relate ties it together Say it again. It ties it together. Ties it together in a way that you understand and, and accept. Makes it work. My brother Joseph says in life, the same thing happens, but instead of rhythm, it's called respect. Hmm. We don't have to agree. You're not going to agree with everybody in life, but if we respect each other, we can still get along. Right? We can still connect. We can still work. But in most cases, people think we don't people think we can't work or get along unless we agree. And it's more than agreeing. You have to agree with me. <laughs> you know, it's not me, me agreeing with you. You got to agree with me. But it doesn't have to be with that. It doesn't have to be that way. And so the power of music, which makes everybody agree, we agree with music even before we start. When you go to the concert to see Bootsy, you're already agreeing with him on the drive there. You've accepted whatever he wanting to offer. You come open. You even agree with the next person next to you, whether you know him or not. Every instrument in the band's different. We celebrate the differences. 
right? Music's powerful that way. Well, if we can take that and turn it into life, life can be just as powerful. And so like rhythm, using respect, and you go into every conversation with respect, the same way you go into the gig with rhythm. And we work on our rhythm. Don't we practice it in music? We can practice respect. Yeah, powerful stuff, right? Yeah. It's my colors. Wow. It's my colors, yeah. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. And uh, some good words of wisdom, some thoughtfulness, and uh, really good chatting with you. And of course, thank you so much for all the great music that you've given us and for the music that you'll still give us and much appreciated. Hey, back at Truth and Rhythm headquarters. Thank you for joining us on another magical ride with Truth and Rhythm. Whether you're watching or listening, as always, thank you so much for your continued interest and support. Be sure to subscribe. Go to YouTube, go to the Funkin' Stuff channel. That's where Truth and Rhythm lives and breathes and thrives. Also, goodies here like TIR Quick Takes. And if you subscribe, you know what? You get the show before anyone else. It's free. If you love jazz, funk, R&B, soul, you can't miss it. Pass it along. Tell a friend. Tell family. This audience is growing, and it is a beautiful thing, all coming together for the love of this great music. Also, if you can throw us a buck or two, we could use the support financially, keeping the lights on, keeping the servers going, all these expenses. If you can help support the program, whatever you can give, much appreciated. Go to the FunkinStuff.net website. And on the right-hand side of every page, you just click and you can donate through PayPal, credit card, whatever. Very easy to do and so much appreciated. And if you do a sizable donation, I will mention you on the program. Also, drop me a line. Email me at scottg at funkinstuff.net. Let me know who else you'd like to see on the show, what you enjoy about the music. Let's just kibitz and uh, talk about stuff, you know, talk music. You'll find that I respond very quickly, and I much enjoy the uh, rapport and the camaraderie and the interaction. Always remember, this is your show, The True Music Lover. So for now, that's all the time we have for this one. It's a wrap. As always, Scott Dr. GX Goldfine saying, keep on vibrating to the rhythm of the one.